Survivor 46 is here, and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast, and we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Vyadaris, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcast. Dreaming of a better sleep? Tossing and turning is not your destiny. And Ollie is here to help. Ollie invites you to sink into sweet, sweet slumber to improve your mental and physical health and overall wellness. More than just melatonin, Ollie's ingredients help you unwind your mind for a delightfully dreamy drift off. Sleep is on the way at Ollie.com. That's O L L Y.com. Hi, everyone, and thank you for tuning in to the 427th episode of Awards Chatter, the Hollywood Reporters Awards podcast. I'm the host, Scott Feinberg, and my guest today is, in the words of the New York Times, one of Italy's leading contemporary directors, and, as The Guardian put it, arguably the leader of a newish wave of exciting Italian directors. The recipient of five David D. Donatello Awards and six Nastro D'Argento Awards, he is best known for 2013's The Great Beauty which was his country's entry for the Best Foreign Language Film Oscar, now known as the Best International Feature Film Oscar, and won that award. And his latest film, 2021's largely autobiographical dramedy The Hand of God, which is available on Netflix, won the Venice Film Festival's Silver Lion, or Grand Jury Prize, en route to being submitted by Italy for that same Oscar, for which it has since been nominated. A man about whom the American Cinematheque declared few Italian filmmakers since Fellini have paired sumptuous visual style with piquant social commentary as effectively, who The Guardian said possesses one of the most distinctive signatures in cinema, fluid, audacious camera moves, grand tableau vivants, montages cut like music videos, garish grotesques, and sleek modernist spaces, and of whom Sean Penn said, I'm dazzled by this director, the maestro himself... Paolo Sorrentino. Over the course of our conversation, the 51-year-old and I discussed the tragedy that struck his family when he was just 16, around which the hand of God revolves, and how it set him on his path to becoming a filmmaker, how he came to work regularly with the Italian actor Tony Servillo, who has starred in six of his nine features, including the hand of God, why he decided to revisit the most painful chapter of his life in the hand of God, and how doing so has affected him, plus much more. And so without further ado, let's go to that conversation. Paolo, thank you so much for joining us on the Hollywood Reporters Awards Chatter Podcast. It's great to see you. And on this podcast, we always begin with a question that uh, obviously is addressed in your films, but just so to just to keep our track record going, if you wouldn't mind, in case somebody hasn't yet seen uh, the Hand of God, where were you born and raised and what did your parents do for a living? I was born in Naples. Uh, I grew up in Naples and uh, my father worked in a bank. Uh, 
and uh, my mother uh, did not uh, work. Yes. Yeah. Now, obviously, as I say, the hand of God deals with a lot of your adolescence. So if people have not yet seen the film, we're going to encourage them to pause the podcast here, go watch the film and then come back because I've got to ask you about uh, your your early years. And so uh, with that warning, I guess I, I just I wonder, we see it portrayed in the film you, those those years before April 5th, 1987. But I guess when you, for for all the years since then, up until this film, when you've thought back to your childhood before that tragedy, what is the way that you think about it? I, I think uh, I remember that, uh, of course, the memories are always altered by the, 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 the years. But uh, in my memory, I was happy. I had a wonderful and a happy childhood, and uh, everything changed in the, during the adolescence uh, because of the death of my parents. But uh, when I was a kid, uh, I remember um, a sort of a perfect world where I grew up. Yeah. And you were 16 when you lost your parents. I wonder, at that time, had you already thought about pursuing film or was that not even a was that not even a consideration until after they were gone no uh, when i was 16 um, i was not a, a a fan of movies after the death the death of my parents in my long depression where i spent a lot of time in the couch uh, I started uh, to see movies on television, uh, and then uh, I started to, to to see often more and more movies. It was the time of the VHS, so I started to, to rent uh, VHS, and and, uh, and suddenly, uh, watching uh, a movie, uh, I thought... Uh, but if I am watching all these movies and if I am starting to think about movies in another way while wondering why there is the music in that moment, why there is uh, the dialogue, I, I started to, to ask to myself some questions. So I thought that it was the right moment to think to, to buy books about movies. And I started to buy a lot of books about movies. I bought a, a book about the, how to, to write a movie, and I started to write uh, movies. At the beginning, uh, where they absolutely uh, script, uh, very bad script, but uh, writing, uh, I, I improved. Well, I, I guess I wonder, do you think the appeal of the movies, you know, for, for even people who haven't had... Uh, a terrible tragedy in their lives like you did movies are often about escapism you can live a world that live a life that or experience the world in a way that you never would in in your own life do you think that that was at the root of your sort of newfound interest in movies to be able to just get out of your own head for a while absolutely this was uh, the meaning of the movies for me uh, I had the real uh, chance uh, only through the movies uh, to run away from the reality. And uh, it works also now, all, all the times that uh, I am a little bit uh, depressed or I have problems. 
if I go to see a movie, I know that for two hours uh, I will uh, forget uh, the reality, my problems, my pain. It's something that works only with movies. Yes. Um, and at that time, uh, th- this was the reason why I saw many, many movies. Yes. And I was uh, looking for another reality. Yeah. So we know that Maradona was your hero in the world of sports, but I wonder as you became enchanted by the movies, was was there a specific person? And I want to ask you, I'm, I'm going to guess, I could be very wrong here, but you know, people often talk about sort of parallels with your filmmaking uh, and Fellini's, right? They're, the great beauty is your La Dolce Vita, they, th- they say. The hand of God is your Amarcord. You have Tony Servillo, he had Marcello Mastriani. Is this just coincidental or was he somebody who meant a lot to you? I don't know. No, to be to be honest, my hero in the in cinema uh, was and is uh, Martin Scorsese. So, okay. <laughs> of course, I loved Fellini, but um, I always tried to imitate uh, Scorsese. But probably I am not a good director, so trying to imitate, <laughs> I do movies that. Uh, uh, looks like something of uh, Fellinesque. <laughs> well, something that happened to me many times. I all the movies I have done, I am uh, absolutely sure that I am doing a, a comedy, a funny movie. And then I found out at the end that it was a completely another thing. <laughs> well, I I guess the actual process of you know or the ex- the first experiences of being on film sets was shortly after the the loss of your parents. And we see in The Hand of God that you say, you know, it shows in the movie that it was very shortly after that that you were, that you met and sort of became mentored by Antonio Capuano. But in real life, I guess there were a few years before you and he connected and you were actually involved with film sets in Naples in other ways. Can you talk about how you first got involved with film sets and then how you actually did first cross paths with Capuano? Uh, uh, When I was young, when I was 19 in Naples, uh, I attended uh, a a course of of cinema, of uh, screenwriting, and uh, the teacher brought to me like a sort of gift, me and another um, friend, to work uh, in Rome uh, in, a, in a set for the first time, a very short movie of two weeks. It was a, a, a long movie, but it was two weeks, the, the shooting. And my experience was not uh, good. I saw because uh, I didn't like uh, to work uh, like director assistant. So after that experience, I went back to study economics for other uh, four or five years. And during uh, the, the, the studying economics, uh, I started to write again uh, the, the script. And uh, I, I won an award for a script that, uh, that I wrote, and it was a, a big uh, change in my life. And after one year, uh, I met Capuano um, through my former producer uh, that uh, left, uh, that read my uh, first, uh, the script that won the award. He put me in touch with Capuano. So I found out Capuano. Yeah. And was Capuano truly 
as transformative a person in your life as the hand of God suggests he was. I mean, I think uh, we, I, I know that you ended up collaborating with him on, on a script, but was, what was that? Why do you think he took such an interest in you? Uh, yeah, for, for, for me, he, he was uh, a, a kind of human being I never met before. I don't know why, but I was overwhelmed by him, by the things uh, that he said. Even because of many, exactly like in the scene I did, sometimes the things that uh, he said were completely in contradiction each other. So it was very complicated for me to understand what was true, what was fake, what was important, what was useless. But... Um, Yes, but uh, his generosity and his capacity to to mean the relationship like a sort of a beautiful war uh, was something of a very interesting and uh, um, useful for me. I understood that, uh, that that kind of a war in the relationship was very useful in order to write uh, in interesting characters in the movies. Yeah, and so you and he in. In you wrote, co-wrote this movie, The Dust of Naples, which came out in 1998. And that was also, I believe, the same year that you directed a short film for the first time, Love Has No Bounds. And I guess I wonder, was that movie, was that so that you kind of had a calling card so that if you wanted to make a feature, that was, you were going to have to show that you could, you could do it? I mean, what was, what was the ultimate goal always to be a director yourself, right? The short movie I did was a sort of a test that my producer did with me in order to figure out if I was able to do a long movie. And uh, yeah, I decided to become a director because uh, suddenly to be a writer was something... Uh, yeah, I, I loved to write, uh, but uh, it was starting to become uh, a sort of routine because... Uh, Sad, uh, because at that time I started to write also for television and I wrote many, many TV episodes. And uh, I thought, okay, uh, this, this cannot be my life to stay all the life to write uh, scripts until uh, uh, 3 p.m. in the night. And so I tried to, to understand if it was possible to be a director, yes. And the first feature film that you made one Man Up, uh, that you directed, One Man Up, uh, we should just tell listeners, I'm gonna, if they haven't seen it, a film about two very different men. One's a kind of washed-up lounge singer. The other one is a professional soccer player who's been injured and can no longer play. Now, I, I guess in The Hand of God, what we see is that when you get into directing films, you left Naples for Rome. But in fact, you stayed in Naples for quite a while after that. So this was shot in Naples. Um, and I guess I wonder why did you want to film in Naples, something that you would not do again until the hand of God 20 years later. And also how did you end up finding your, one of your leading men, the one who plays the washed up lounge singer, Tony Cervillo, who you have worked with more than anyone else. Until uh, the end of God, I didn't have uh, all this need uh, to make movies uh, in Naples. Uh, at the opposite, uh, Naples was, uh, was and it, it, um, he's, uh, for me, a city very... Um, it's not easy for me to shoot in Naples because it's a city very chaotic, 
beautiful but messy and uh, I also I always love the sort of uh, pure and clean aesthetic the frame must be clean and in Naples this is uh, this is a pretty impossible to get so uh, other than the first movie I gave up very in fact, my second movie is set in Switzerland that corresponds perfectly to my needs, uh, <laughs> aesthetically. Right. Um, but the, the first movie I did was uh, a story that was uh, very close to, to the sea. Uh, the singer was uh, obsessed by the sea, by the fish, uh, and so I, I, Naples was uh, the, 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 the best idea. Well, I guess, you know, I, I, I want to really talk about Tony Servillo because I think it's fascinating. You guys obviously have a very close relationship. He's a, a bit older than you. He's played sort of your stand-in, but he's also played your father now. He's played older men in different movies. How did you first become aware of his existence and how did you two begin working together on initially One Man Up? I, I, I met him uh, through... Napolitan environment of of movies and the theater, mostly theater, because he was a pretty famous theater actor. And uh, I had a script and I asked to his producer to let read uh, this script. He he's always been a great, great actor and uh, maybe the best we, we had in Italy. And uh, and so I was lucky because he accepted to play this uh, this movie. Um, and um, yes, what can I say? We um, uh, the second movie. I, I, I uh, because I, I I wrote always for many years. I wrote always uh, uh, main characters in the movies of the of his age, and so. I chose him uh, all the time. Do you think you were writing those characters so that you could work with him, or was it the other way around? Uh, both. I write for him, but at the same time, uh, I love to write uh, about uh, uh, characters older than me. Uh, uh, other than For the End of God, I always uh, yes. uh, wrote characters older than me. And uh, so Tony's the best choice. But then over the years, we become friends, uh, and so... We love to spend time uh, together, each other on the set. We 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 love to stay together. Yeah. So, I'm not I'm not a psychologist, and I'm not trying to become one. But I am curious. Do you think that part of the interest in older men, in having them be the protagonists of so many of your movies, I, I guess it would certainly be understandable if that was you know you you. You, of course, were robbed of the opportunity to see your own father grow older. Do you think there's some connection to that, that these are father figure kinds of characters? I think so. I think so. In, in another movie called uh, Youth, I put a quote of, uh, I don't remember, maybe Olderline or another very important uh, writer. And the quote was... Uh, I am always going uh, to uh, my father's house. Um, and uh, yes, so this is a, a quote, uh, this is perfect for me. Yes. I am always uh, trying to go back to my father's house. Yes. So it's exactly this. 
Well, your first film, it's a pretty amazing accomplishment to have your first film at the Venice Film Festival, even if it was not necessarily in the main competition, just to be there at all is an amazing thing. And then ever since then, I, I think has been can uh, and then with Hand of God, uh, Venice. But I guess for the second feature that you directed and and the third, uh, The Consequences of Love in 2004 and The Family Friend in 2006, both sort of about older men interested in younger women, right? It's a, it's an interest. And, and the first one about a mafia connected guy, maybe that's the Scorsese influence. Um, but I do wonder, is there any rhyme or reason to that commonality in, in those films? Uh, at that time, uh, I loved the idea to have uh, main characters that are on the verge of uh, desperation. Um, and uh, they are uh, um, alone and melancholic, uh, and uh, their life are uh, still. And uh, I loved the idea that uh, there was uh, something that, uh, like an explosion, uh, changed uh, their life. Uh, and of course, uh, the love is uh, something that can change the life of a still man in a few minutes. Uh, this is the reason why I, yes, there was a, a women that changed suddenly the life of these uh, people. Yes, and I was obsessed with mafia because of Scorsese. <laughs> so I started to study the Italian mafia, mafia and I found out that it was really, really interesting. Yeah. Yes. Well, with Il Divo, it's sort of the beginning, which was your next feature in 2008, film about the Italian Prime Minister Giulio Andreotti, uh, who I did not know this as a person outside of Italy, but I guess, you know, really had a his path to power was very uh, littered with crime and corruption and other uh, things there. And I, I guess I wonder, though, that was maybe the beginning of a, a run of films where you seem to be very interested in power and uh, how people get it and what they what they do to get it and what they do to keep it. And I, I guess I wonder, I mean, this was a movie that I understand it was tough to get financing because there are plenty of people in Italy who still do not want to see him criticized. And again, there's, I guess, some Scorsese influence probably there with the the some of the crime and the music and the way you tell it in a very cool way. But I guess, is is the idea of power something that, whether it's in the prime minister's office, which you've visited twice in films, and we'll get to the other one later, or the Vatican, or other places, do, is, do you think that's just a coincidence, or is that something that you're very interested in yourself? No, no, it's not a coincidence. It's, uh, the, 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 the reason is... Uh... I was very curious about the power, about uh, the mystery that are behind uh, the power, the secrets that uh, are behind the power. Uh, above all, when I did uh, Il Divo, because uh, it was uh, a movie about an historical moment, very mysterious and full of uh, uh, um, things that uh, we didn't, that the, the people didn't understand. Uh, so, um, yes, I, I was interested in the power. I was interested uh, also in the, in, in, the, in the culture of this kind of people like Giulio Andreotti, a, a culture where uh, 
it's very strange where the, the Catholic religion is very close to the violence to and where everything is not clear, is not clean, everything is messy and uh, from a, a dramaturgical point of view it was very interesting. Absolutely. Now that movie. Oh, you know what else I, I had read? And I don't know if this is true, but I read that of all, you know, people might see that movie and I don't think they would necessarily guess this, but apparently Stephen Freer's movie, The Queen, was actually a big influence on you. That's obviously about a very different uh, person in power. But is that true? What what made you how did how did one lead to the other? Yeah, 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 it's true. The Queen uh, was a movie uh, that influenced me a lot. About um, yes, uh, um, uh, until that moment, I didn't understood that it was possible to do a biopic in that way. It was a sort of lesson, a, a lesson of cinema for me, how to face a so important public figure uh, without being offensive and at the same time without uh, doing a sort of a geographic portrait of that person. It was a big lesson. I I, um, I keep on thinking that uh, The Queen is a great, great movie. Yeah, absolutely. And yeah, I guess we could see the the commonality between the two that you you have to make an informed imagination of what was going on in certain situations. Nobody could know, but it seems like a, a, a smart you know way of imagining. But now this movie, El Divo, goes to the Cannes Film Festival and obviously was very popular with all of the jury because it won the jury prize. But I believe there was one juror in particular who was especially a fan of yours. And and I guess even at that festival kind of pulled you aside and told you this. Can you connect the dots for how that moment led to This Must Be the Place, the next movie that you made just a year later? Yeah, no, no, I was very lucky because the president of the jury in Cannes was Sean Penn. And at the end of the festival, he told me, if you have a movie, I am ready to do. Because uh, it was a dream, uh, because Sean Penn for me is one of the best actors actors uh, I have never seen. So I went home from Cannes to Rome and I started to think about something uh, for him. And uh, I wrote uh, this must this must be place. A few months later, I sent him uh, the script, and uh, we did the movie. And for me, it was a wonderful experience. It was a, a sort of dream to make uh, a movie in the United States because I was uh, and I am and I will be always a big fan of the American movies. Yeah. Well, and in this case, it it was, you know, I guess uh, not coincidentally, the character that he's playing is a lot like Robert Smith, the frontman for The Cure, which was, I think, one of the bands that you were very into as a as a kid. This, except now when, when you make a, a movie about him, he becomes a Nazi hunter too, right? It was a little, I guess it was a unusual movie, a hard to describe movie. And in the United States, it was bought by the Weinstein Company, do you feel that it got the kind of release that you would have hoped for, or was it a little bit? Was it did it get a little bit lost? No, I think I think uh, that uh, the, I think that there was a better release of the movie, and uh, I think that it was a mistake uh, to sell that movie to the Weinstein Company. Yeah, yeah. So 
there were ne- then uh, for you an unusually long gap between movies between features uh this must be the place was 2009 but then when you came back in 2013 uh the first time i i remember uh meeting you interviewing you was with the great beauty in santa barbara where by that point it was already taking the world by storm uh this is of course this film that you made about a character named Jep Gambardella, aging journalist who sort of lives a life of excess. And I guess I wonder what made you want to tell that particular story? This is a movie that people will be talking about long after we're all gone. So I, I am curious, what what was the original inspiration? The, the, the original inspiration was a very stupid, silly and crazy idea to do a movie about everything. <laughs> My idea was uh, to to not have a subject, to to do a movie about everything I saw in Rome uh, over the years, and I saw many things at the parties, at the dinners, uh, around the streets, and uh, this is the reason why the main character is uh, uh, mostly a sort of. Uh, Flaner, a guy that uh, walks uh, in the city, that knows everybody and is uh, able to see everything. Uh, yeah, the, the idea was uh, to do a movie about everything. Oh, for this reason, probably it's a movie about nothing because it's impossible. <laughs> to do about well, everything. well, now, was uh, I know that there are some things that you definitely do not share with Jep. You, I, from what I understand, do not really like parties and socializing all that much. But are there other things that you do relate to uh, uh, about Jeff? No, but uh, um, I, I love to go to the parties, but uh, I love to go to the parties if I can be an, an observer. Yes. I, I don't, uh, yeah, the best thing would be to, to be behind a, a wall to, and to... <laughs> uh, what I have in common with Jeff, I come from Naples, and we, yeah, no, no, I, I have a, um, uh, I, I have like Jeff Gambardella, a sort of cynical approach to the life. Uh, nothing is really important, and nothing is really bad. Yes. <laughs> uh, we are on the, on the hurt to spend time, uh, to spend time. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and the most. <laughs> Is to be distracted by everything up. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, now I I know that there are a lot of people who look at the Great Beauty as sort of a, a metaphor for modern Rome, and I wonder if that might be. The, I mean, it seems like it was obviously around the world very well received. Obviously, right up into including winning the best then foreign language Oscar, now the best international feature Oscar. But um, I guess, was it a little bit divisive in Italy? Did people feel, I get the sense that some people almost felt defensive, that it was criticizing Rome. Was that true? Yeah, yeah, it was very criticized because there was a, a mistake between me and the people that saw the movie. They, were, they thought that I was uh, describing Rome but I was not really describing Rome. I was describing uh, uh, my uh, dreams and my thoughts about a Rome that did not exist. So the people uh, were upset because they thought, but Rome is not this. And I, I tried to say, I know that it's not, the, in, in fact, this is uh, the Rome that is in my mind. 
But uh, when the people uh, hate something, uh, it's not able to listen to what the other people have to say. It's impossible to convince. So I tried to speak, but they mm, didn't listen to me. And they just uh, hated the movie. That's it. Well, but we do know there were at least uh, a, a, a good number of people in Italy who who did love it because they submitted it as their entry for the Oscar, and then you won. And I, I wonder what what did that mean to you to be representing the country, and then obviously for the first time now it's happening again. But for that to happen for the first time, and then for the uh, the victory to happen, I mean, I know you're now. You're going through this award season process again right now. It's a pretty crazy thing. But as you think back to going through it the first time, I guess, what is it, eight years ago, what stands out in your memory? Oh, my memory was a crazy, crazy time, very tiring because uh, to go back and forth from Italy and um, to do many screenings, Q&A, and all the, all, the, all the stuff we know that it's important to do. It was uh, very tiring also because uh, I didn't speak English. I, I didn't and I don't speak English <laughs> very well, but at the time I was, uh, if possible, uh, uh, less good uh, than now. <laughs> and uh, so it was very tiring for me, uh, but it was also very, very exciting. I have uh, a wonderful memory. Maybe it was one of the best moment of uh, my life because um, yeah because it was a dream to be in the nominations um, and it was also all, also very very funny very funny yeah does monday at the office feel like a storm not with microsoft copilot that feeling when copilot gets everyone up to speed instantly it's sunny again when copilot simplifies complex data so your teams can act that sun's shining on a beach and when Copilot uncovers hidden insights, you're on that beach with your people and you find buried treasure. That's Microsoft Copilot. Learn more at Microsoft.com slash AI for all. So the moment after someone wins an Oscar is considered very uh, sensitive because you can really capitalize on that and you have probably more opportunities than at any other time. And some people... Some people do a good job. Some people do a bad job. I wonder what was your life like after the Oscar, where you probably had offers from more people wanting to work with you, people who you may have never imagined would even know who you are. What you did choose to do was youth next. That was came out two years after The Great Beauty. But I wonder what was going on between those two movies. Was there a lot of uh, kind of consideration about what you wanted to do next with your career? No, the, the, the Oscar was very, very helpful because uh, from that moment uh, I was uh, free to, to, to do the movie that I had the desire to do and without uh, having money problems, uh, so it was great. Uh, I didn't understand exactly, um, I didn't understand how to capitalize, even because uh, 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 during the Oscar campaign, I was uh, doing the pre-production of Youth. So I finished, uh, to, to, I finished the Oscar campaign. I went back to Italy and I started to, to after a few months, to, to shoot Youth. So 
and I think it was a good thing to to work uh, immediately without waiting. Okay, let's see now what's going on after the Oscar. Who is coming to ask me things? It's better to work. At in at at the end, I love uh, I love um, to work. I love to work uh, the work for the work. Yeah. So I mean, I guess because that's that's interesting. I guess I had assumed that maybe. You know, youth would be only your second film in the English language. And I wondered if that was a calculation after the Oscar, because now you can be an international filmmaker. But you're saying it was already going to be happening even before the Oscar. So that's interesting. And I guess I wonder, you know, here again, uh, consistent with some of the things we've been talking about, a film about not just one older man, but two, Michael Caine and Harvey Keitel's characters. Um who visit a Swiss spa and reflect on life. And I guess I wonder, why did you want to do that next film in the English language? If it was, you know, now that we know it was unrelated to the Oscar, I'm just curious, was it because you wanted to work with those particular actors or, you know, some other reason? No, the, the first idea of the movie was uh, a, 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 new, a real news that I read on the newspaper that the... Italian director, uh, musician, uh, Riccardo Muti, was invited by the Queen, but they didn't find, um, they disagree about the repertoire uh, that Riccardo Muti had to uh, play for the Queen. And so Riccardo Muti said, I don't come. <laughs> and uh, I give up. And I was very um, shocked by this news because uh, in my mind it's, it's impossible that somebody can say no to the Queen. <laughs> and, uh, but he was very bold. Okay. So this news, uh, I put this news on my notebook and I decided to do a movie about that. I have to say that one of the reasons why I was obsessed with this movie was also the idea to work with Michael Caine. Uh, it's, it, 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 he always he, he has been uh, one of the actors that I had the dream to work with. And I was uh, actually just last, uh, I guess it was last summer at the Carlo Vivari International Film Festival in the Czech Republic, and he was given a Lifetime Achievement Award, and I was listening to him as he was chatting with people, and I he says that's one of the movies in his whole career that he's most proud of that uh the the work that he did with with you on that and uh and i i can only imagine that maybe tony servillo was a little jealous because it's another great part for an older uh man but i guess his english maybe isn't that good i don't know <laughs> yeah 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 no, no, i was jealous because uh um Tony Servillo loves the music he has done the director for opera and so he always told me over the years, uh, um, I would love to play a conductor. And, uh, and when he found out that I proposed to Michael Caine to, to play a conductor, he was, uh, um, yes, he was disappointed. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, but in a funny way, not, not, not upset. Sure, was, sure. Uh, now, you did an interesting thing in After Youth, very soon After Youth, which was... You know, a lot of for, for many years in history, if a person who made films suddenly was making TV, that meant their career was not going well. These days, it's it's wonderful. TV is better than ever. But I guess I wonder what made you decide to, to take a chance on 
doing TV first with The Young Pope in 2016 and then revisiting it, which I don't think was originally the intention, but to come back three years later with The New Pope, both limited series on HBO. I I watched The True Detective, the TV show, and uh, I was completely... I changed completely my mind about the idea of a TV series. Until that moment, as you said, uh, TV series was uh, something um, that it's better to keep distance. Uh, it's impossible to work well, uh, to do beautiful things. But after I saw True Detective, uh, I thought, oh, oh my God, it's possible to do not one movie, but to do eight, six, seven wonderful movies all together and because i all for the for the movies i always wrote very long scripts and i was forced to cut many many minutes i also thought okay but i am perfect for a tv series because i have always uh, so many characters <laughs> uh, stories uh, i am perfect and in fact when i did the young pop uh, I, I wrote eight episodes, but at the end, I did 10 episodes <laughs> because I <laughs> Even then, eight was not enough. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So definitely after True Detective, I changed my mind. Very yeah. interesting. And, uh, and an American Pope. That was, that's never, that's, uh, never happened. So that was an interesting idea to, to have Jude Law playing this guy. Yeah, uh, yeah. The idea was uh, to 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 do something in English, but set in Italy, and uh, Vatican City was perfect. The idea of an American pop was uh, an excuse to speak English. Yes. And uh, the idea of uh, the wonderful idea of Jude Law, Jude Law is not mine, but of my wife. Yes. Uh, she said uh, Jude Law could be perfect. <laughs> At the beginning, he's too young, but then uh, <laughs> I started to do research about Jude, and uh, it was a, I think it was a great idea. Yeah. Absolutely. So only one other I have to ask before we talk about Hand of God, and that was in 2018, between your two Pope series, you did, Lauro, uh, about another Italian prime minister, Berlusconi, who um, has really shaped the Italy of today, I think, in a lot of ways, even though he's, you know, not been in power for a while. And I guess I wonder what made him interesting to you and and did you ever get to interact with him personally and sort of make your own conclusions about him? No, I, I decided to do a movie about Berlusconi, not because of political stuff. It was not the main topic of the movie because of the political stuff in Italy about Berlusconi were all the days for years and years on the newspapers. So all Italian people were pretty tired of uh, the political history of Berlusconi. It was too much because there was every, everywhere and everything. I was very interested by the person, by, by the human being. I am very, very lazy. And I was shocked by the fact that he was a sort of explosion of vitalistic and... Uh, Yes, vitalismo amor and love for life, um, and so it's, uh, it's it's this difference. Uh, it's, it's for me it was like a sort of um, a tea. Uh, this approach to the life that yeah, that he must have everything. He must be the best, uh, and. Uh, 
I am completely the opposite. So I was, uh, it was a sort of a curiosity for a human being that I was not able to understand because I am completely another person. <laughs> this was the reason why I decided to write a movie about him. Yeah. And you did, though, uh, meet him before the film, right? No, I, 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 I met him briefly in a, in a lunch, yes. Briefly, uh, yes, briefly, yeah, and a couple of hours. Were you surprised by anything, you know, did you come in with any expectation that he kind of upset, that he that he uh, seemed to be different? No, to be honest, he invited me, so I didn't feel the need to meet um, him, but just because... Uh, when I do a movie, I prefer to not know very well the person that are involved in the movie. Even for for Andreotti, I didn't. So no, I was not disappointed. No, no, he was he, he was very close to the uh, character that I saw in television. So that spoke in television in the in the talk show. So it was a sort of um, of copy of uh, the, the person that I, have, I, I, I had seen in television. So um, it was like a television, but he was in person. Yeah. Right. <laughs> All right. So this brings us to 2021 and the release of The Hand of God, which has, uh, you know, everyone talking now and everyone can, of course, see it on Netflix. I want to note that this was your, again, your first film shot in Naples since your since your actual first film 20 years earlier, your first film with a protagonist younger than you, uh, and your first predominantly autobiographical film. I know there are pieces of you in other films, but this one is obviously very personal. So I wonder why, after all these years in the business, did you decide that now was the time you wanted to kind of excavate your own story? And, and I'm sure face some painful, you know, very painful things for yourself? Yeah, for, for many reasons. Um, I turned 50 and I started to think, okay, uh, now you have to, to, to think more about the movie that you, you want to do because uh, you have done maybe more than enough of your career. So now you have to do the movies that you want to do. And this was the first of list because uh, it was an unusual story for me. It was something of completely different. Uh, it's a kind of movie that uh, required a different style, uh, a different use of the music. So for me, it was a new beginning and I needed to start to restart. I was a little bit tired to do always uh, the same kind of movies, yes, with some variations, but uh, same aesthetic, same stories about old men. And so I thought, okay, I, I, maybe um, it's time to, to change and to do something of a completely different. And I found the right story. I knew that it was painful, but at the same time, uh, uh, I, I, I was always painful about the death of my, my parents. So also, it's ridiculous because I am more than 50, but the pain is exactly the same of when I was 17 years old. So I thought, okay, uh, I didn't uh, do a step ahead uh, so far, 
maybe doing a movie is something I can change because uh, I can interrupt this my long monologue with myself about my pain. Now, if I do a movie, I can share this monologue with the people. And uh, and maybe I was right. The movie is uh, was helpful. Helpful. Yeah. Was the process of writing or directing which of those things was more of a challenge with this story? Because I guess writing it, you're you're on the one hand. I guess on both on both hand on both the things you are having to think about a lot of the stuff that was in your past. But I guess. In directing, you're literally recreating some of the both the best and worst moments of your life in visually in front of you. So I guess w- w- can you talk about just writing and directing and on this one how they compared to each other? Oh, writing uh, because I was alone uh, at home. Uh, writing was uh, really a sort of uh, catharsis. Uh, yes, I. I wrote uh, crying, and uh, because it was the first time that uh, I put on the paper uh, the things uh, in a chronological way, and it was the first time that I was thinking to the facts, not to the feelings, but to the things that happened when I was young. It was the first time that I was trying to remember exactly what happened, so it was very, it was a, a, a sort of a catharsis. A directing, it was very moving for me, uh, for some scenes. Other scenes were, was very funny to, to, to shoot. Uh, but of course, uh, directing means stay with many people. So I was embarrassed. Uh, writing was a sort of, it's like to open a Coca-Cola <laughs> bottle, can, yeah. You have said that one of the things, I guess, that made you realize that it was possible to to do this kind of a film, looking at your own childhood and how it might have shaped the person you became, was another great non-English language Netflix film from just a few years ago, Quaron's movie Roma. What 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 about that movie impacted you? Yeah, exactly like uh, The Queen for Il Divo or True Detective for the Unpopular. Roma di Quaron uh, um, opened my eyes about uh, the way to follow in order to do an, uh, an autobiographical movie without being rhetorical, without being... Uh, Mm, okay, how can I say? Without uh, avoiding the, the traps of that kind of a movie. Roma uh, was a, a perfect example for me of how to do that kind of movie, and it was a great, great movie. And uh, before seeing uh, Roma, I was a little bit uh, depressed about movies. Uh, I I tormented, si dice tormented, I tormented my wife saying, uh, maybe I give up, I don't want to do movies anymore. Uh, <laughs> So uh, then I saw Rome and said, okay, every, everything is clear. Um, so at the end, exactly like when I was 17 years old, uh, the movies uh, helped to, <laughs> to find another reality. Yeah. Yes. And it is interesting to me. I guess you always, I believe, write fairly fast. But in this case, uh, you had so much that I guess poured out of you when you sat down to write. How long did it? 
actually take you to write the script? Now, the write of the script was uh, very, very fast. I thought uh, for a long, long time about the movie, uh, but uh, the writing of the script was a few days because it was a sort of, uh, can I say, a liberation of uh, feelings. And uh, so it was very, I was very, very fast. Then uh, I did many, many drafts uh, where everything was, uh, was uh, well done. Yeah. But the first draft was uh, one day. Yeah. Wow. And how about, it must be a pretty surreal thing to to do auditions or a casting search to basically hire somebody to play yourself, to then have Tony Servillo play your father and somebody else, you know, you've got a cast as your mother and your, all, all of these people that you knew. Was that, talk about how this casting process was maybe different from, from others for you. Yeah, it was strange because uh, I was looking for uh, uh, my sister, my brother, my mother. Uh, it was very strange. It was, uh, I don't know what to say. It was strange. It was unusual. It was, it's, it, it's not, it's not the normal process uh, for the auditions where you have uh, invented the character. This was completely different. But uh, I was helped by the fact that, uh, above all, for my father and my mother, I mm, have chosen two actors, uh, were Teresa and Tony, that I knew very well since a long time. And uh, Teresa is uh, a friend of when we were young, and uh, she's uh, full of life, full of joy, uh, always uh, ready to laugh, uh, exactly like my mom, mom was. So it was the right choice from the beginning and for Tony as well, it was the same thing. Yeah. And then you, you found yourself with Filippo Scotti, right? Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. I saw many actors and Filippo was definitely the better. Yeah, he, he's a very good actor. So this is the main reason why I chose him. In addition to this, he was uh, shy and a little bit uh, at a disease with the world exactly like I was and it was the right choice, yeah. You have said, you know, and people always talk about how beautiful the camera moves in your movies, but you said in this case you did not move the camera around much for a very specific reason. Can you explain maybe why the camera usually moves in your movies and why it did not in this one? The other, the other movies I did, uh, it was a sort of research of, uh, of a truth that I did not know. And maybe... I moved the camera a lot because I was looking for uh, some things that I didn't know. In this case, the process was exactly the opposite. All the things that I was describing in the movies, uh, I knew very well. So I didn't need to move the camera to find out things. Uh, and then I understood after the first day of shooting that uh, staying still with the camera gave me the opportunity to be focused more on the actors and the actresses uh, to understand what they were doing, what they felt. And uh, so I thought, okay, in this movie, uh, the camera is not my first thing that I have in my mind, like in other movies. Yeah. Yes. Just the last few couple quick things, but I, I have to ask you, uh, obviously this movie was well-received uh, all over the world and certainly Italy loved it enough to submit it for the Oscar again. But have you found, you've been 
on both you've been back and forth between Italy and the US uh quite a bit lately. Are people responding to different things in different places or do you find that it's kind of getting the the same sorts of responses in 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 both places? No, I have to say that um more or less I have the same response because I think that this is a movie about uh about the pain that all of us have, um, have felt in the in life. So um, uh, yes, the the, the 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 loss of something that we love, the uncertainty of the future when we were very young. So I think that uh, these are universal topics that everybody understands in the same way and uh, feels in the same way. Yeah. You know, people who come out of watching the movie, if they put this on after the movie, they're going to have a few very quick, you know, questions. How is your brother? How is he now? Uh, my brother, my brother is fine. He's fine. Yeah, yeah. he works. He lives in Naples. And he, he, he's very good. He's, he's fine. What happened? <laughs> what happened to the guy in jail? I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> I, I, I didn't have any news. No. <laughs> uh, did you ever meet? Maradona, uh, you know, again, this man who inadvertently saved your life. Did you ever get to meet him? I met Maradona. Uh, I met. I, I saw Maradona in the car, exactly like in the movie. I saw Maradona. I, I saw Maradona when a few years ago in a um, football match. But he was very distracted. He, he, he was thinking other things. He had problems with the girlfriend, so he didn't understand who I was. And no, I, I met but briefly, and I never had the chance to speak with him quietly, calmly. Sure. Yes, so. uh, has Capuano now seen the film? I don't know. I don't know. I think that now he has seen the movie, but uh, he didn't call me. But because he's, he's in a moment of his life uh, that um, he has his pain, and so he will call me later, I know. Do you believe that all great artists are driven by some sort of pain in their past, or can a person who had a very happy event-free childhood and and life still become a great artist or do you do you know what i mean do you think there has to be something that really drives a person to achieve something or is it just in them i i, I think exactly like uh, edna o'brien the great writer uh, thinks that i read uh, she said that uh, an artist um, is obsessed by his uh, past, by his or her past, um, the pain uh, and uh, the sufferings of, uh, of childhood. And uh, the price that you pay uh, in order to be an artist is to be always obsessed by the past. I think, ex I think that Edna O'Brien said exactly, yes, the truth. And that sort of relates to the last question, which is almost, an I, I guess, an impossible question. But I, I wonder, I, I suspect you have probably thought about this. And, I, and so I'm just curious, if the tragedy that happened when you were a young man had somehow been averted, do you believe your life 
you do you how do you think your life would be different than it is today would you still be sitting here as a filmmaker who is known and admired around the world or would you have led a very different life no i think i, I am pretty sure uh, that in that case uh, uh, i had a different life and uh, probably i never approached the the cinema because i remember that i approached the, the movies uh, exactly because uh, i was uh, i was suffering so i am pretty sure that my life uh, uh, would be different and now maybe i was working in a bank uh, like my father probably that yeah <laughs> well thank you so much for sharing your story in this beautiful film and for all the great films and for doing this i i really appreciate it and i uh, hope to see you at the oscars <laughs> thank you very much scott okay thank you Thanks very much for tuning into Awards Chatter. We really appreciate you taking the time to do that and would really appreciate you taking a minute more to subscribe to our podcast on iTunes or your podcast app and to leave us a rating as well. If you have any questions, comments, or concerns, you can reach me via Twitter at twitter.com slash Scott Feinberg. Until next time, thanks for joining us. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. DTW, Revoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.